Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. Welcome to another episode of The Crossing Gate, and we are going to discuss the modeling of electrified railways. And we're here with Jim Rint and Mike Slater, two guys who do a lot of modeling and know a lot of knowledge of previous and current electrified railways. Welcome, guys. And I think what brought up this discussion was seeing that a modern manufacturer such as Rapido is coming out with the New Haven EP5. I believe the nickname was the Jet. You guys can correct me or not. And they're coming out with it in 15 numbers, paint schemes, and variations. And it's electric locomotive. It's beautiful. We all know Rapido makes cool stuff, same as other manuals. But you're talking about a $460 engine for electrified. And in my small view of model rarity, the people who model overhead catenary lines is a small, small percentage. Maybe you guys can tell me what the state of the art is on modeling electrified railways in your experience, and why do people see this as a problem? Why are people not doing more of this? There's such some amazing prototypes to bring down to scale. Well, I'll, I'll, go ahead, Mike. I'll start off probably because I'm probably the one that took took the longest time to actually take the the jump or the leap into wire uh, modeling a layout or a railroad with overhead uh, wire of course i'm not modeling anything as heavy or as high voltage as uh the new haven out on the east coast i'm modeling a little 600 volt uh trolley in an urban line that ran in uh southeastern wisconsin northern illinois chicago north shore and milwaukee but for me the longest time we're not really jumping into it was the fear of doing the overhead wire. Now, trolley wire is a lot more simplistic than heavy cantonary like you would find on the New Haven or the Northeast Quarter, like on the Penzi, mm-hmm. those type of uh, railroads. But a lot of it, I think, is just the, the fear factor. Now, when I was first shown how to do the overhead trolley wire, probably about three, three and a half years ago by a, a fellow modeler friend of mine by the name of Andy Breaker. I don't know why I was so scared of it. I think after you see how it's done, it's fairly easy. Now, of course, the, the heavy type cantonary wire, of course, you can get away with, uh, there's several European manufacturers that make it a lot easier for the pantograph, but for the little trolley pull, hitting the contact wire, it's all stringing the wire and soldering skills. Yeah, I'd say that's generally true. Um, you know, there's a, a lot to be said with uh, questions that I, I usually get are how much how much tension weight do you put on these wires at the end? Because on a lot of point-to-point layouts, uh, years and years ago, guys would literally hang metallic or sandbag weights on them to keep tension on these wires so that they wouldn't slack up under the poles, which is a natural thing in, in, in actual operating catenary on, the say, the northeast corridor. You don't want that wire to to get a buckle in it because it'll catch uh, the pantograph and, and start fires, tear down, you know, short circuits. You know, it's uh, it's it's certainly uh, it, it seems a lot more intricate when you when you think about uh, the mechanics of it. Uh, but I've watched Andy and Mike uh, work on this stuff, and uh, and it's amazing the, how they do it. I think we've gotten to a point too where where a lot of the the technology is different in terms of even something as simple as wire. Uh, you know, you used to wire a house with a hard, thick copper wire. You know, obviously over time that stuff can break. And, and now you know, we've gotten into multiple strands, thinner wires, softer wires. And I think that those being available to say just the general 
population for wiring homes, stereos, whatever it might be, offers itself as an option uh, to creating a, a better environment for people uh, risking <laughs> the, you know, the operation of wires. You know, it's uh, one thing I've noticed that I think is kind of funny. I saw a bunch of pictures the other night on Facebook of uh, somebody who had bought, I don't know, they must have bought five or six GG1s and they were all excited. And, and yet there was not a stick of wire. There wasn't even a hint of a telephone pole on this layout. And they had the they had the pantographs down as they were operating these. So clearly the person was a fan of the locomotive itself because of its look, whatever it might be. I mean, we've all fallen into that. I, I normally model the Chicago Northwestern or the North Shore Line, uh, but it, it wouldn't be unheard of for me to buy, say, a, an SP Daylight because it's just a beautiful locomotive or a beautiful train. Uh, and I think that, you know, I, I'm hoping in, for Rapido's sake that that's their aim, that they're looking for a lot of... Uh, a lot of baby boomers that have recently hit pension that are interested in spending money on a hobby <laughs> because yeah. at these prices, it's, uh, it, it's, it becomes an investment to, to buy these locomotives. They're certainly fantastic machines. I mean, they're, they're just, and I, I mean, I'm talking about the, the models, not even the, the real machines, the, the real locomotives. The, the, the technology has gotten so great that the intricacy of, of it all is, is glorious. It, it's just, you know, when we think of laser technology, 3D printing, just better manufacturing practices than you know, hearing, oh, yeah, so-and-so put out another locomotive. Oh, okay, so it's like an either honor or mock speed kind of uh, running running operation, especially when it comes into the smaller scale. It's nice to see people are putting that kind of... We'll get to the... I One of the points I was going to bring up is the no-wires modeling, and, and we'll get to that in a bit. I agree with you that the, we'll call it the fear of the overhead. As Mike alluded, alluded to, he had a mentor, and that's always been one of my things I've said about the NMRA and other groups and clubs is mm-hmm. if you find a mentor, you're great. And so I kept thinking... If you're a manufacturer of these beautiful GG1s, Little Joes, EP5s, E44s, why aren't the manufacturers making broad brusher a ready-to-run overhead system or something similar to how fast tracks totally changed how we can hand-build switches and crossovers and diamonds? They, what You'd think there would be, if you're going to make these intricate machines, as Jim pointed out, and even the GG1s and the Little Joes and North Shore Interurbans and all the light rails, why not have a ready-to-run, you know, some type of plug-and-play overhead? Also on the thing of mentors, maybe a two-part program, is there anywhere that you know a source we can list of someone who shows a good way to hang up your 600-volt trolley or your 11,000-volt Northeast Cordelay on YouTube, Facebook, any other video places where you could find a mentorship? And here's a step-by-step of let's make five feet of over. You guys, mm-hmm. so what well, do you guys I, think about that? The mentorship or ready-made well, and things like that. Well, actually, there there is a, a friend friend of mine and also a member of the Northwest Traction Group that I belong to is based out of uh, Northern Illinois, Southeast Eastern Wisconsin, and we have uh, members that have moved away from that geographical area where we have a couple of the founding members, one of the founding members that lives in Denver. Colorado and, uh, another guy that lives, um, in Iowa, but the, the gentleman in Iowa, he's got a YouTube channel called the Midwest Traction or Trolley Modeler. And, uh, he's got actually some videos showing you how to hand lay the or lay the ore, uh, trolley track or street running track. And he does have some videos showing some overhead trolley wire, uh, modeling on there. So there, there is some. Some videos on there. A couple of times when we've had work sessions for the Northwest Traction Group on our on our Facebook page, I've uploaded some little video segments. I've even done that in the past of Facebook Live uh, uh, videoing on other groups I belong to, like Model Rail Radio and that. But um, so there there is some information out there. Uh, Trolleyville, I believe, is you can Google that. Uh, that's a great little web page. It's got a lot of information on trolley modeling. Otherwise, there's, uh, like out in Pennsylvania area, there's two different shows. They happen, one happens on the even years, one happens on the odd year. And that's the, um, uh, the East, East Penn Trolley Group has, uh, the East Meet, and then there's a, a Western Penn. And then there's also a pretty good, uh, trolley group in the California area. But as far as in the Midwest, uh, it seems like it's the, you know, the Northwest Traction Group is, Kind of the Midwestern hotspot for the, the trolley modeling with overhead 
wire in it. Do they have any public access channels or anything where someone could go see and just even learn the basics of soldering? These type of what wire to use, what works good for the holes and such? Well, that probably would be uh, more on the Midwest uh, trial, uh, Traction Modeler's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, Will, Will O'Malley is his name. He has uh, some videos as far as there really hasn't been anybody else that has done videos on YouTube or really on. But usually there's also a attraction modelers uh, group on uh, Facebook where there's a lot of gentlemen from around the world. And some some guys are really excellent on doing the, the overhead wire and they live in all different parts of the country. And I'm sure if somebody was getting started, they could go on there and say, hey, I live in uh, Minnesota or I live in. St. Louis, or and I'm sure there there'll be gentlemen maybe that live in that area that may still be doing trolley modeling. So do some do some searches and ask ask some questions politely. And, yeah, and be appreciative. You'll you'll be able to find this. And yeah, stuff. but as as far as like on the other aspect of it, what you're talking the heavy wire and that that you'd find like on the northeast corridor and stuff like that, or in the south, you you do have. Some of the European, like uh, Marklin, I believe, has a uh, overhead cantonary system that could be used also with the American prototypes. The only downfall is it's all European, more modern-based uh, cantonary uh, and towers. But it doesn't mean that you could probably modify the the wire panels and make your own towers. Or prime example uh, with Jim with the his rinse relics companies, he has the the Bates uh, Towers that were very, fairly common on the North Shore and also the South Shore in an urban line. So, Jim, you made these laser-cut towers, which are just gorgeous. Yes. I see them, I say, a, a dummy question for me, a, a neophyte maybe, what do you guys even use for the overhead wire? What is the product size or whatever is for just to stick with the North Shore? We're going to use in Midwestern interurban. Well, I myself designed them primarily to be almost like a wireless uh, situation. My original point was to provide something that looked good. Uh, and if somebody came up with a way to hang them, which, which again, Andy Breaker did, uh, I'd have to look at his video exactly how it is that he does it. But my, my point was to provide something that looked like the real thing. It was sort of a, it initially started out as a hold my beer and watch this kind of thing. Uh, if I if I'm to be perfectly honest, that's not honest. Uh, that that was uh, that was one of those things that Mike had said to me. He said something about, "Well, do you think you could laser something like that? It'd be interesting if somebody could laser something like that." And I'm like, huh. and that, and that's well, before, thing. before before ten o'clock that night, we, yeah. we were exchanging photos on. on, on yeah, I think I think earlier that day we were down at at Dempster Street, which is uh, yes, yes, that's right. Many North Shore depots, and there's still the uh, Canary Towers. Uh, uh, yeah, there are like two of them left, I think, that were standing. Uh, well, no, there's the whole entire right away still has them, even though they're but do they? Okay, oh, okay. on the ground, but uh, the towers are still standing. We're looking at it, and I'm kind of going, "Hey, you know, look at this a repetitive pattern," and mm-hmm. yeah, next thing you know. <laughs> and after dropping me off, and uh, it's uh, here, <laughs> hold, hold my beer. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, many, I also how many adult beverages later did have the North Shore? That's great. Well, That's in, great. In, in fairness, though, I do want to put in a plug for Cotto uh, because okay. um, I haven't seen it available widespread, but I know that they did a, a double track. Uh, catenary system for their Unitrack that had a, a little panel you could put underneath and you could plug the uh, spaced uh, catenary towers uh, wire hangers in next to the track because almost all Japanese railways are electric, at least in their commuter lines and for many of the products that they offer in, in their Japanese lines. And, and of course, their track is wonderful if you're modeling the Northeast Corridor because they, they have concrete ties and as well as wood ties in the Unitrack, so it looks a lot like the Northeast Corridor's right-of-way. Uh, here in the United States, and and the cat and the modern catenary towers on the Northeast Corridor are very similar in style. So at least it gives a, a fair, fairly close representation. I don't know that I've seen them with uh, hung wire underneath them, but they certainly provide a, a, a correct spacing uh, and nice looking tension uh, catenary for the for the lines themselves. So I just want to make sure that that gets mentioned because I know if you're modeling N scale, 
for sure. I don't remember if they have them in HO or not. They, they should at least get a plug for, for their products that they have in scale. Because there are a lot of people that do enjoy modeling Amtrak, especially you know, the higher speed, high speed lines. Well, I would think that's that's one of the major attractions over those. Between you know, Amtrak's GG1s and the old E60s, that, that's that's a major portion of this. So, like, another point is going to electrics. It, why not? It doesn't really take up more space. It's maybe a little more work. Is it also that there's less products available or it costs more, do you feel? Yeah, that, that could be a possibility, don't you think, Mike? I mean, it's like it, it's like you see a lot of people get excited. They buy track, they buy a train set, or they buy things they like, and it's, it's you know, 15, 20 years down the line before they start buying structures for their well, – it's, it's a barren board until they get, get to a point where their wife says no more, no more locomotives, you know. Well, the, the, the <laughs> with, with modeling – track you know trolleys or inner urbans like for example if you're going to do like a streetcar system you can actually with a lot of the models get down to a six inch radius so mm-hmm. think of how small of a layout you could actually make with six inch radius if you're doing street run or the modules that i built for the uh, northwest traction the smallest radius i have on there is a 15 inch radius on my return balloon loop and when i those all the the founding members of the northwest traction group said you don't need to build anything that big of a radius, you know, it, it's, or diameter, yeah, radius. Otherwise, you know, they're like, you know, you can do nine three quarter inch radius, 10 inch radius. It's, it's more than enough. But with me modeling the North Shore, they had heavy freight locomotives where they had four trucks underneath them to, they probably could have, those engines could have probably made it around a, a nine or 10 inch radius, but it looked better going around 15 inch radius. Otherwise, you know, you could get into, the uh, trolley modeling uh, with uh, the Concorde or Bowser PCCs, and I think you can find those on the secondary market for probably about a hundred, hundred and fifty, and maybe two hundred with DCC. And so, on. so price point isn't that far, much far off than a regular locomotive. And mm-hmm. modeling in an urban line like the North Shore, the uh, the longest uh, passenger train in, that was allowed in the city of Milwaukee after the. The 1930s was a three-car train. So for me, modeling the Wisconsin division, sure, you know, I, I run a lot of three-car trains. So that uh, you don't need the the 50-car, you know, coal drag or on your layout. You can actually get away with a lot smaller, less, a lot less equipment with, with it. Now, the the main thing is picking, you know, your inner urban line, you know, or your trolley line. That'll determine the, the equipment, the size required to run the equipment, you know, like if you now, if you wanted to model the, the South Shore as an example, their equipment was longer than the North Shore because they didn't have the uh, tight curves with street running, even though the South Shore did have street running, but they didn't have the, the tight 90 degree corners that uh, the North Shore had to achieve on the Yale in Chicago. Uh, so you can, that'll determine your, your modeling uh, diameters or radiuses you have to model with. And of course, if you model the, the heavy electrics like the um, the New Haven jet locomotives, you know, now you're probably jumping back up into a minimal of a, a 25 to 28, 28 inch radius just to run the the longer scale length, 89 foot long passenger cars that would go behind them. So again, you know, you have to pick your your prototype, pick your battles, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, go with what what interests you. And and also uh, again for HO and N scale, I know that uh, is a Tomi that offers a, like a street panel system, and I know Kato does as well. That you know it's like you're actually running on streets, uh, and, and there's uh, there's more modern equipment available, similar to what Milwaukee and Minneapolis and other cities have. Uh, I, I forget what's what's the Minneapolis uh, system called there. It's called light rail. Light rail, okay, yeah, that well, transit because okay. they have Green Line, the Southwest Line, they're building. Yeah, I just think it's uh, Metro Transit. Okay, okay, I, would, I just remember the exact overhead, name. the one with the overhead. Yeah, Metro Transit. Yeah, yeah, and so the, it's it's track that that looks similar to, and, and and cars that look very similar to how those operate. So if you're into a more modern uh, setting. Uh, again, that's available. And, and like Mike said, a lot of these are, are very capable of turning very short radiuses. I mean, I've seen people do like little oval city blocks, uh, at, at a, at a diagonal in a briefcase just to prove the point. And it's very classy looking stuff. It runs very, very well if you're into the more modern side of it. So. Now, you also, you brought up all these passengers and things like that. Do you think people are giving it a bad rap because of operations? I'm thinking model wise. Well, I don't want to run a, a streetcar could just pull it out of the barn and go around the city and back. But there's so much freight operations. Mike mentioned the four truck 
monsters on the North Shore. Mm-hmm. The South Shore had little Joes. You know, you think about the I the Iowa line in Mason City, the Sacramento Northern. Do you think that people are just assuming that they have to do passenger or light rail in 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 any scales, and that the operate the operations getting out of hand? You know, they they don't they can't do it with overhead, or they, or they just don't see it enough. Well, I, I, probably that they don't see it enough. I would think you know because it, it, it passenger is always the varnish. You know, it's always the, the the thing that's on the brochure. So I think that has a lot to do. You know, I mean, the Pacific Electric had a huge freight business, uh, and and they were of course coordinating with you know, Southern Pacific, and so they did. They had, there were a lot of places where they hauled into cities, uh, ranch land, more residential areas that uh, the regular steam rail would not have not have been allowed to build tracks into. They don't really get much. I use the joke much traction, but yeah, the Pacific, <laughs> the Pacific Electric. You know, you look through all their photos and. I can't. Oh, the system was I can't, huge. It was huge, but I can't remember really seeing freight. And I think maybe that was run at night or from downplate or. Yeah, I think a lot of it's because it was probably the redheaded stepchild of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're true. You're right. But, but yeah, no, a lot, a lot of your freight operations on on your traction lines, especially if they had a lot of street running. We're done at night. The Milwaukee Electric Railway and Light Company, all their freight operations were at night. All the the freight operations that used to be on the Chicago L system was done at night because your passenger traffic was a lot lighter and you didn't have all your vehicular traffic on the roads, you know, if you had street running. So it was a lot safer to do your switching of, of freight cars. And of course, like you mentioned, Iowa Traction, uh, that, that's more of a, a seasonal. There's certain times of the year where they're because it's a very uh, farmer-centric uh, operation where you have your grain haul season, you have your fertilizers coming in to, for your farmer. So there, there's times of the year the, the Iowa traction really isn't running much, and but you have times of the year they're, they have two freight motors running around their little industrial area, switching cars. To- and I think there's a certain nostalgia factor in people's memories that, you know, oh, I remember riding the red cars or the yellow cars down. Or I remember lighting the silver liners, or you know, my favorite was the green liners, or the electro liner, or the liberty liner, whatever it might be. A lot and, of liners. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, soon we'll get to the one liners. The crockpot um, liners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but in all sincerity, there, you know, people always have memories of since a lot of these systems were taken down 50 years ago. Uh, people that are getting, you know, nostalgic now are remembering. Oh, I remember riding you know, on the streetcar with Grandpa to the to the hardware store or whatever it might be. Uh, because grandpa never owned a car. Well, we're getting to a point where very few people in this country have never owned a car. So there's that, that memory, that nostalgia is there about the passenger equipment. Cause I, I don't think too many people rode a boxcar to school, you know, you know, you <laughs> as, hope goofy, not. as goofy as that may sound. You yeah. You not. hope, you hope not. <laughs> but, but the other thing is that a lot of people don't even realize too with, with freight operations on these electric railways is there's a lot of innovative firsts. You had the North Shore, for example, had the, First non-iced reefer in the 19 uh, late 1920s that had a 600 volt uh, uh, compressor to cool the the items in the refrigeration compartment. So it was a non-iced reefer. Uh, the North Shore was had another first innovation. The first trailer on flat car service. There was a, a traction line in I believe Ohio that had the first container on flat car service. Uh, so there, you know, a lot of these electric interurban lines were very uh, innovative as far as how to haul freight on on the rail line? You know, a lot a lot of your steam roads. You know, the the trailer on flat car service really didn't come until almost the late 1950s. I, I just want to point out that clearly my family never worked for the uh, for the uh, refrigerated operations on the North Shore because uh, they would have never allowed you the door open long enough to get the stuff out. <laughs> no. So here's the thing. Now you know I almost was tempted to make the split rock mining electrified, similar to the the mining operations in Utah and Montana have those big GE 80, but I was intimidated by the uncoupling. Then I realized, well, you can use Katie's. And then I was intimidated by the wiring. And now you two can probably correct me on this. If you're going to use DCC and you're going to power the overhead, can you use, I'll make it simple for me, the DC troll here, Uncle Larry will be, can you make the, the wire, the positive connection and the rails, the negative, which would almost make it simple. That's exactly what you do. That, that would make it simpler, correct, for reverse yeah, loops in, in and fact, such. In fact, I go to the the when uh, when, when we had swap meet, I would go, <laughs> <laughs> uh, way back, back in eighteen twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, I I would I would look for the older Shinohara switches that had the power routing 
that everything, you know, that everybody was, you know, now switching to DCC, were ripping out of their layouts to replace with the DCC friendly turnout. <laughs> I was scaling yeah. all those up because both of my rails on the trolley layouts are my ground and the overhead wire is my hot. I don't have to worry about shorts in the track. You know, if I were to build a fast tracks turnout or a crossing or anything like that, I don't have to cut rail gaps in the ties. I don't have to cut rail gaps in the frogs to isolate the rails because both of my rails are grown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very valid. That is DCC friendly. Is that like military intelligence? Okay, so <laughs> jumbo. Well, Mike, Mike, let me let me ask a question if I if I can. Absolutely, uh, Mike. Uh, you know, it something just occurred to me. I, I, I've, over the years, I've watched for traction layouts, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody do a third rail system. I'm sure somebody's modeled one somewhere, so I don't want to insult anybody who hasn't uh, who hasn't well, done it. But I've never seen anything commercially available, or even you know people talking about having the, the shoe for the third rail. Well, um, actually, some of the guys back in the 1930s and 1940s, when they had more time, you know, they didn't have television, they didn't have <laughs> the internet, you know, to, to to take your time away. I have a double O scale model that was almost primarily all hand built. And even though it had a non functioning uh pantograph on top of this this uh this inner urban type model, it had a little sprung outside third rail pickup shoes on the Okay. I, I, I that's cool to hear. I'm really glad because I was gonna say if somebody hadn't done this, somebody's gonna have to hold my beer while I figure this out because yeah. uh, <laughs> actually back in the uh the uh, 1930s, and that when you were modeling two-rail O-scale, it was so much easier to have all your layouts run on outside third rail. In fact, uh, the Milwaukee Union Terminal uh, Club layout, which is based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, underneath the uh, main line in an old uh, Milwaukee Road suburban train station. And actually, a lot of the, the founding members of that train club were founding members of the NMRA, Al Kambach, William K. Walters, you know, maybe some people. Some people that you you may have heard, you know, their company they founded, but they that original layout uh, when it was originally built had outside third rail, and all their steam locomotives had shoes that would contact the outside third rail. And then I think it was in 1950 or 60s when they ripped out the outside third rail and converted all everything to two rail operation. Okay, I I saw one I know of most famous probably was John Armstrong, you know, the great track designer. He had third rail, but I have seen people do that for scenery only, Jim. You know, like okay, if they're doing a passenger thing into third rail is pretty congested city passenger only track, I right. would think. Right, and they'll put they'll put down a a plastic rail to simulate okay. that third rail, but that would just be bizarre powering up to me. That's Rails too close together of different polarities that would, you know, one, one little shaving makes, or something. That's what just, makes it fun, man. Yeah, yeah, that. Were we talking about that? Like no trolleys in the bathtub? I think that was one of Well, yeah, was. exactly. <laughs> Things to I just, avoid. I just don't take them in the bathtub so the paint doesn't smear, you know. <laughs> well, that too. There's that too. <laughs> we had two Chicago interurban lines that, that had segments of their tracks that run, ran both off overhead wire and off the third rail. For example, the North Shore when they got, uh, East of Dempster Street, I think a mile or two east, they mm-hmm. would on the fly from the overhead trolley wire to the outside third rail. Right. And, uh, the Chicago Aurora and Elgin was primarily outside third rail, but they did have mm-hmm. a line that did have the uh, the trolley wire on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was always neat watching those videos when they were coming off the third rail on the North Shore going onto the, uh, the trolley wire. And it didn't matter what time of day or the weather conditions, uh, they would... Uh, without stopping, they would put that uh, little trolley pull on that trolley wire doing 60, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> some skills, man. That's some skills. Yeah, back when men were men. Men were men. And <laughs> when a conductor was an actual conductor. Yeah, when a conductor, conductor did electricity as yeah. well. Yeah, that's how he earned his name. <laughs> yeah. So for the future of like modeling this, what do you guys think the next model should to be producing what are you looking for even even if it's something small from like shapeways or whatever what would advance with some overhead modeling would it be better catenary better equipment what would you guys like to see Uh, well it's it's progressing so quickly with the quality of the home 3d printer Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, jim and i we both own a uh, photon uh, 3d printer and in fact right now 
Uh, when I get my tax refund, I'm looking at buying the new Photon Mono, which has a, a print area that's almost twice the size or about three three times the square centimeter printing area of um, the print volume in, in X, X, Y, and Z area. And with the new printer, I could almost, uh, I think, I could probably print a North Shore car body and win on it. Uh, where right now the printers that we have in HO scale, I'd have to do it in two pieces, of course, with N scale. Jim can get away with printing a body, a one piece body on an N scale. I think the home 3D printer is going to be the biggest game, game change. There's a lot of guys that have great, uh, traction models on, or on, uh, Shapeways, especially if you're into N scale. Mm-hmm. There, there's all kinds of, uh, really great models for traction modeling scale. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Mike probably remembers, oh my gosh, it's got to be five years back already. Now. I bought off of Shapeways the uh, N-Scale Electroliner, and the guy was good enough to provide trucks and everything else for it. And so I I, I took uh, a small chassis arrangement, and uh, and I was the first one to motorize it. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a, it's a little bit of a rickety operation to a certain degree, but it's really kind of fun to see something like that come to fruition, because I remember... Gosh, it was back like in 2008 or so that Concord was releasing the Electroliner, or maybe even earlier than that, the Electroliner in HO scale, and they were going to do one in N scale. And apparently they didn't get enough pre-orders to, to continue with it, unfortunately. And so there were a whole bunch of us that sat there with our hat in our hand going, you know, please, sir, I want some more. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it never came to fruition because their oh. HO model is just gorgeous. Yeah, they uh, HO model, they actually did two production because of the demand for the model. Now, I don't know how many of those models that were purchased sat in their cardboard boxes or just got set up on a glass display case because again, people remembering when they were a young kid riding in the rail fan seat of the electrical line. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you actually having people that were actually running them. Of course, all, all mine, my two sets that I have for the Concord electrical line, I have all set up to run on the overhead trolley wire and it's probably one of the, especially in the Midwest here, it's probably one of the most favorite trains when it runs on the layout besides my uh, North Shore Line uh, intermodal uh, ferry uh, ferry truck flat train. So what would you say to someone that, okay, I'm going to model Masaba mining and I'm going to put in these towers in the track. I'm going to model the North Shore. I'm going to do this. But they don't have the wires. We, we talked earlier, mentioned earlier that you can run this without the wires, the GG1. I haven't seen it. When we used to go to train shows back in 2019, you know, Pepperidge Farm remembers. But, you know, people would get out their Amtrak train, and they'd have an ALP, an Alps on there, if that's what you'd call it. And, you know, without the wires, and it looked great. I mean, I enjoy seeing that. I enjoy seeing a GG1 and, you know, a long string of Pennsylvania cars, you know, going through a modular layout. I can, my mind can put the wires there. If my mind mm-hmm. can put a backdrop on your layout, my mind can put, you know, the wire. Honestly, you know, the yeah, mind yeah, can put the wires there. Do you guys, would you encourage something like that? Say, hey, I want to do this, but I can't do the wires, so I'm not going to do it. I would say go for it. I, I would say the thing that I noticed the most, and, and you've got a very good point, your mind imagines what's not, you know, especially with something like wires. I've seen traction layouts where in my head I'm going, well, if this car goes off the track, I've now got to somehow get my hand and my fingers down in there to get that thing back on the track, or I've got to have a tool to do it. And these wires are, quote, in my mind, in the way, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, if you're used to modeling, say, steam or diesel, your mind goes to, that's clutter over my right-of-way. Because of the one thing I've noticed is that, you know, we all remember right-of-ways from the steam era that still, to this day, have really old, you know, six-arm telephone poles uh, with with 25 wires on them that have, have fallen into the swamp next to the tracks now. But those were there, and you don't see people modeling that either for that metal wiring because it becomes kind of like a cluttery item to a certain degree. I, too, have often thought, as cool as the mechanics are of the wiring, does it constitute in, in, in a person walking by observing the model, does it, does it look like too much work? Does it look like too much clutter or something like that? Because I think it's fascinating. I think it's absolutely... I, I bow to the people who have done all that. Like Andy Breaker, I... I I have all the patience in the world to put a face on an N-scale person, but I think about the soldering of this and the wiring, and there's part of me that yeah. wants to stab myself, you know? Right. Well, and the thing with overhead trolley wire is you don't have to be a model railroader to have that wow factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, even set up a, a, or a smaller version of our trolley layout at an antique farm uh, tractor collector's uh, show uh, nearby where I live uh, one time, and 
the the average people that were walking around the show, you know, most of them are, you know, walking around in their Alice Chalmers or John Deere t-shirts, you know, and they, they probably brought a, a 1930s John Deere farm tractor and tell them to split it. They, you know, they just get fascinated, especially when they learn that the model's running off the overhead trolley wire and uh, when yeah. the trolley pulled the wires and the, it just stops and until you re, rewire the, the trolley pull, they just get amazed, you know, of the amount of work just because again, with them working with antique farm equipment, you know, they, they know, they know all the little, little things you have to do, you know, hitting <laughs> spot with your five pound sledgehammer to, to make it run right and that type of thing. Right. I, I think the general public actually gets more of an interest with it running off the actual overhead trolley wire. Now, as far as you're asking about supplies, one supplier is, uh, I believe that the company's name is Rivers is the outfit outfit's name and they sell the trolley wire the uh the cast uh brass uh wire hanger a lot of that type of stuff. precision scale they still have a lot of the, the hangers and that available in their catalog and they're still producing the wire hanger you know you, you probably can't walk into your local hobby shop and and order the stuff you know they you know, they don't have it hanging on the peg but uh, my local hobby shop a few years back i ordered several pack i think six packages of the couple different hangers that i need from through precision skill and he had them within uh, a month's worth of time uh, so that uh, you know this, this stuff is still commercially available it just may not be as visibly commercially available as as one may you know be uh, but uh, i think with manufacturers like bowser you know, bowser's probably one of the best one uh, yeah that's what i was going to bring up bowser probably has some trolley poles yeah with with their like PPP cars their their uh, Penzi uh, MU cars they came out with and, you know, all the other types of, you know, I think they also did uh, New Orleans uh, style street cars. And then, of course, Bachman, they did uh, some Bernies and uh, some other, a uh, couple other cars in their Spectrum was wonderful model. You know, of course, mm-hmm. the, the Bachmans, you had to change out the trolley pole, but to, to use Bowser trolley pole. Otherwise, right. you, know, you have a, a great running model. For me, modeling like the North Shore, there's still a lot of older brass models and with Northwest Shortline with their Stanton trucks, which is probably the, the savior besides the Bowser driveline, their trolley kits, Northwest Shortline with their Stanton drives is a godsend. All, all of my old brass models have been converted with uh, Northwest uh, Shortline Stanton drives. And I have a, a model that runs just as smooth as any modern day produced, uh, uh, diesel welcome with the So Jim, you brought up some good points, and those are all those are all good points too, Mike. I like I remember the Bowser and the Standard about the wires, and we talked about the telephone wires. And for me, I was trying to decide like the overhead wires. The first thing was uncoupling, reaching down with an uncoupling tool, mm-hmm. and knowing that the bull in the china shop that I am, my watch was going to touch that wire, and I would be zapped at least ten times during operation. It's, it's like playing that old kids' game operation. <laughs> it's oper- you know? exactly what it was. <laughs> and, and then another factor was was cleaning. We, I've always had this talk where I, I enjoy layouts, like you said. That I see the telephone poles. I don't need the wires, in, mm-hmm. and I see the people that put in the wires. And I'll give credit to this to my friend Dan Dosa. He says uh, he says you know who really appreciates all those telephone wires spiders because you did half the work <laughs> yes. for them. You know, so I kind of thought about that about the overhead too. I'm like, oh boy, now I got to dust it and clean it. While I'm cleaning it, I'll probably break it, which well, was my earlier question of what type of wire. So, so yeah. yeah, I'm like, you're compounding a lot of things, issues that to me maybe aren't there. And that's why I love this discussion. And I love well, the idea I, that I, you can put I, the I, wire I, in someone's mind instead. Well, right. ironically about cleaning the net, <laughs> the, the one member in our Northwest Traction Group, he's got a, a house with a, a decent basement and he was, uh, he's got a lot of our modules set up in his basement, and he was going to build a smaller uh, Chicago Northwestern diesel uh, layout in his basement. And he's since taken the half-completed uh, HO Northwestern layout down, and he asked me, hey, can I borrow the remaining uh, trolley modules you have stored? I'm like, yeah, not a problem. Let me let me get them out of the, the 50-foot boxcar at the Railroad Museum in the little community that I live in. And they've been sitting in this boxcar for over a year now. Of course, you know, they, they are kind of sitting in, in somewhat of a plywood box, but uh, part of the, the coverings I have to transport them, some of them have pegboard material, so there's holes and dust can get in. But you, you figure they're they're sitting inside of a, a 50-foot steel boxcar 
through all the, the temperature extreme. And he ran a three car North Shore train of his own and he didn't have to clean the track or the wire. It, it just ran through there just fine with no issues. The, the wire that you can use for the overhead, uh, a lot of my modules have, uh, Phosphorus bronze uh, wire. Some of the other modules we have have nickel silver trolley wire on them. The rails nickel silver. I usually always would would take the rails and take a little bit of a, a bright boy to them. And the trolley wire in there, you could put a little uh, graphite powder on your trolley shoes on your trolley poles and run them around and it'll help lubricate the wire. And it also the the graphite it's a conductive material, so it uh, allows things to run. But uh, most of the times. Your electrical issue isn't with the the wire; it's with the brass trolley shoe that corroded. So. Well, I I have to. I just want to take a moment to tell you that being friends with Mike is an adventure, <laughs> um, because Mike is is makes the best use of cottage industry in this business in this in this country because he knows all the different sources, and if not, he seeks it out and he figures out what he needs, and he has managed to assemble a, a I, I I don't know what a brain trust in, within himself. Of, of all the different things that are available and who's done what and how it's done. If, if Mike comes to me for something, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say no because he, he always finds a way to, to, to just take whatever you're doing and just make it that much better. Mike is, is without question one of the best model railroaders in the country today just by virtue of his ability to connect people to come up with creative ideas uh, and, and yet stay within a very realistic set of, of lines as he's modeling and, and, and his attention to detail and his commitment to doing it, how it was and how it should have been and making sure that he, he does it right. It's a really neat thing to watch Mike do this and, and put together what always to me is an amazing show. I mean, it, when, when Mike gets a train together and is running it, I'm always excited to watch his videos because whether it's, it's assembling the, uh, the trailer on flat car, you know, system that he's got creating a, another, box motor or, or, or powered reefer motor it's just it's it's absolutely fascinating because i'm i'm very much more a history guy even than a modeler when it comes to railroads and and uh and so my attention to the to the details of history is always there and i, I always have a slightly just within myself i don't always express it a slightly judgmental eye towards these details and and mike never fails to to surpass any any expectation i have. it's just he's amazing so i i know i'm probably making him blush right now and i apologize but I just, I just got to point that out. Mike, Mike is just absolutely top notch on this stuff. Well, I, I, think, I know yeah. few better. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think Mike has done what you and I are trying to do, and we've done is you assemble the people who do well in this hobby. Assemble a, I, I call it, you know, nerd side, a hive mind mm -hmm. that you go out and you search out these people and you use common sense and good social skills and you find the DCC guy and the overhead wire guy and the antique guy and the history guy and Jim. And, you know, that that's why I searched out you two gentlemen for this. And, hey, Mike, I'm going to get you one plug, and then we'll go to our last question. What Jim said, just to show off some of the things you've done, you ha you were at the St. Louis RPM with a bunch of beautiful Chicago North Shore and Milwaukee models. What year was that? Do you remember when you were down there last displaying those? Because I can I, send people to look for that on on the. Uh, went down there two years in the row in a row. Okay, so what years was that? Um, and I gotta think here. It <laughs> wasn't last year because there was no RPM meet last year. Yeah, would have been uh, twenty uh, eighteen and twenty nineteen. Two years I took down North Shore displays. Uh, right, you had tables full of gorgeous green and yeah. red uh, machines and cars and sitting with Kenny and stuff. So yeah, people, if you if you can look up RPM meets. Look for the 2018-2019 St. Louis RPM, one of the bigger ones, better ones. And look for Mike Mike Slater's North Shore thing. So let me wrap this up real quick. I'm going to ask you both, what would you say to someone sitting on the fence? They, they're going to do a model railroad, and they're like, I don't know whether I should do an electric or a steam and a diesel line. What, what would you say to push them towards modeling even somewhat of an electrified railroad? Well, you could uh, model the uh, Skokie Valley route of the North Shore. Because paralleling the Skokie Valley route, uh, you had the Chicago Northwestern Steam Railroad that was less than, uh, probably less than 100 feet away. Right. Yeah. Less than well, I mean, maybe away. not telling them what, what to model, but, you know, you need to both. I, I think I know what just you're trying what, to say. Tom, right. right. What's, what, but, what's uh, stopping them? There's from a bombing. simple satisfaction. You know, it's the plug and play quality that yeah. comes out of the traction because you don't have to, 
you don't have to have 50 coal cars. You don't have to have you know, 10 factories to deliver boxcars to. You, know, you, you get that trolley out, and you're, and in your mind, your play value is that you're already moving people. You're already going point to point. You can work on how does it stop at a station? How long do I wait at a station? There's fun. There's a fun aspect to uh, the, like I said, the plug and play qualities of traction modeling is is really where it's at. And if you want to get started and feel like you've got something that's complete coming out of the box, traction modeling offers that. You can always build upon that because obviously, if you're getting if you're going to get into model railroading, you're already in the mindset that over time I'm going to build this up. I'm going to add things. I'm going to add layers of detail. I'm going to add uh, layers of structure, layers of, of scenery. Mm-hmm. But coming uh, coming out of the gate, the first thing you really want, as a friend of mine says, there's nothing better than sitting down at my layout and just watching a train run. And and with that with the traction, you get that trolley on there, and you're you're off and running. You're already you're already into the fantasy land that that, that comes with the idea of, of I'm, I'm I'm operating I'm operating a railroad and you, and, you, don't, you don't need all the uh, the massive uh, freight car fleet either uh, with right. the trolley modeling you know you're, you're now looking at Walthers and Athern for what they want for a new freight car I was a sticker shock when I was watching uh, the yeah. show online and that. Where these manufacturers were, were saying 50, 60 bucks for a freight cart, you know, or not a kit, but a freight car. And I'm just kind of going, Oh my God. When, you know, how many years ago was it when I worked at the hobby shop and the average freight car, you know, yeah. ready, uh, ready to run from, from Walther's was 18, 1999 and the kits were 9.99. So yeah. the electric, the electric equates to, I've said this before in previous podcasts and we've talked about this as. I'm I'm a big less is more guy where if you pick a specific era and time like this, like you pick a specific electric thing, you're now limited. So when you look at those 60, 70, $90 auto racks, you're not going to have those. You're going to save your funds for the five or six things you need. So you, it can be cost pro, you know, cost effective for your modeling. Well, and, and many of these railroads rebuilt their cars again and again and, and again. again. Yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. the line that ran here in Sheboygan County was using cars, some cars that were built in the 1890s all the way through the, eight, the 1920s and 30s. You know, th- there's a, a there's sort of a stretch factor. If it was bought in the early 1900s, chances were it was still running into the 1940s and 50s. And so that, just, have, that just flows into... a century, you know. Right. That just flows into freelancing as well. Exactly. So here, here's what I got, and then we'll wrap it up, that you guys gave me is ask questions. Mm-hmm. Find a mentor or two or three. Do some research and then try it. And also, like Mike said, look to smaller manufacturers. Look to 3D printers. Look into 3D printing yourselves. If you're on that fence, just give it a try. And, and maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I, I think with, like, Rapido and these GG1s and all the things we're seeing, that this will grow. You know, this part of the hobby will grow as well as the other steamer. Yeah, because 10, 10 years ago, everybody was saying traction model is dead. It's done. You know, so, soon people aren't even going to want, you know, when somebody passes away, nobody's even going to want their no. collections. No. And I think that's not at all true. I, I no. Not that I'm taking any credit for it, but people, uh, small manufacturers who have, have put a focus on making uh, products available for traction modelers have really helped move this along. The, uh, the modelers themselves have like taken on the 3D printing. Basically, they've brought it again to the forefront. As it's not a, a dying portion of the hobby because it's becoming new again for another. Yeah, I, I was kind of actually hoping with with the, the dying generation that the prices would the market would get flooded and the prices would drop, and it's just exactly the opposite. You're a vulture, see how you are. But yeah, I, he's, he's driving between garage sales. It's right, garage sales, Mike. He's, he's <laughs> that guy. Have, have, have been going up on eBay. You know, sure. you look at a model and you try it and like, oh, maybe I'll watch it. And at the end, towards the end, the, oh my God, that's going for more than what the model's worth in it. So yeah. you know, as, long, I mean, as long as you're I, not showing up at funerals with your business card, you're okay. So it's just, no, I, I don't do that. <laughs> we we but, know people uh, like that. We don't, we try not to. Yeah, we, we know people. But I think <laughs> that the manufacturers like this EP5 is so beautifully built in so many phases. And I, I think manufacturers like Scale Trains did this when their first thing, and they came out with a Union Pacific three-unit turbine. Remember this? Museum mm-hmm. quality. And here's an engine that was run on one railroad over one area, pretty much Salt Lake to Omaha. And they sold out of them mm-hmm. like two or three times over. Mm-hmm. So if manufacturers, if you build a quality little Joe with all the lights and the cab and a quality of this with the sound, it's going to sell. 
you know. So I th- I think the manufacturers are seeing that that even though this is a rare engine, we can still sell pre- pre-sell this and get them out there. Yeah, I would say I would say that's. I think yeah. I think that's. All right, Jim, Mike, thank you. We'll chat again. I appreciate this. I appreciate your input. This was fun. Absolutely. It's good to be a part of this. Thanks, Mike. Oh, yeah, we'll talk it. to you guys more on this. So, yeah. All right. We'll talk to you later. I'll, you guys have a good day. Yep, you too. Thank you. podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts.